You're the boss, man. You're listening to the OKS Fisher Podcast, part of the OKS Podcast Network, featuring your hosts, Matt Strine and Greg Tubbs. Hey there, welcome back to another episode of the OKS Fisher Podcast. Matt, what are you doing over there? Sitting in the office, ready to podcast. Ready to podcast. You have a beverage in hand? I do. What are you drinking tonight? Uh, a little Canadian whiskey and fresco. Wow, that sounds kind of fresh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, zero sugar. Got to watch those calories. Oh, okay. Count of Monte Carbo is over there. <laughs> yeah, beach season coming up. He's worried about it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> got to keep my girlish physique going on here. <laughs> We got a guest tonight. He already uh, let the cat out of the bag. Mr. Ryan Ebert, also known as Ryan Ebert Art on Instagram, Facebook. Is that also part of the handle on Facebook as well? Yeah, it's pretty much my handle for, for everything is Ryan Ebert Art. My, I mean, my official business name is just my name is Ryan Ebert, but um, yeah, all my handles are Ryan Ebert Art. So uh, fill us in for those who live under a rock and don't know who you are. Um, we know you as a guy who makes some pretty awesome fish decoys. You have other talents as well, but, uh, go ahead and share with the folks who you are and what you like to do. Yeah, I'm a self-employed, uh, artist here out of Fort Atkinson, Wisconsin. Um, prior to that, I worked in the publishing industry for about 11 years and my degrees in graphic design. So I've always been in the art realm. Uh, I'd say the biggest part of my business is the design and photography and videography fields, uh, a lot of agriculture related stuff. But like you mentioned, I uh, do a lot of fish decoys and uh, fishing themed apparel and uh, particularly a lot of spearing uh, themed apparel. And that's where the fish decoys get used and jig sticks and fish plaques and all sorts of fishy goodness. That's awesome. Did you, uh, you grew up in a family that liked to fish and hunt, I assume? Um, yes, sort of, <laughs> not like extreme. Uh, I grew up, uh, in a farming community, a small town, uh, in Columbia County, only about an hour North of here. Um, so my family, we were always busy with farming and, and things like that and didn't have a lot of money. So didn't have a lot of cool fishing gear, didn't have a boat, nothing like that. A lot of hand-me-down fishing rods, but you know, stuff that worked and, just do a little bit of afternoon fishing in the ponds, nothing too crazy. And uh, just literally going out our backyard and into the fields to go hunt deer and things like that. And um, a lot of meat hunting versus trophy hunting at the time. That sounds familiar. Sounds real familiar yeah. growing up <laughs> the same way. Yeah. <laughs> so what got you into spear fishing? Um, in college, I, one of my real good buddies I made in college, uh, mentioned it to me and his dad was a warden up in Marinette County at the time. And so they mentioned about spearing and I just, it wasn't on my radar at all being in Southern Wisconsin, but they're up by uh, the Michigan border. So they would always go into the UP and go spearing. And he said his dad was carved his own decoys. I thought that was really cool. And uh, so went up with him uh, one winter and gave it a try and just got instantly hooked on spearing. Um, I didn't get into the fish decoy carving right away cause I was living in an apartment at that time and didn't really have any sort of like workshop or space to, to do that kind of thing, you know, woodworking and carving. 
Um, so it wasn't until I bought a house probably like four or five years after I'd gotten into spearing that I started decoy carving, which has been probably 14 years now that I've been carving decoys. Um, and then just got immediately hooked on the functional art of it, you know, making this cool thing that could bring in fish, but also looks cool sitting on a shelf and, and just really in the beginning, making lots of weird stuff that wasn't even like fish, you know, like the brewers racing sausages or like characters from movies or Nemo with the gimpy fin, like just whatever goofy things I could do and, and see what at the time I was mostly just pike spearing in the UP, just seeing what pike would come into and, especially on a slow day it really makes it more entertaining when you got something goofy down in the hole and you're drinking barley sodas with your buddies and if you're not seeing anything you're just being goofy and playing around basically like almost like in a bathtub with a toy you know swimming that decoy around so (laughs) doesn't sound like a bad way to spend a few hours on the ice yeah 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 you're in a nice warm dark shack so you're pretty comfortable and just hanging out and I definitely enjoy the community aspect of it with my buddies and getting to catch up in the winter months. So I, I got to ask, what was the first decoy you carved? The very first, I tried a sockeye salmon, which I still have it. Um, it's pretty, pretty crude uh, by my standards now, but um yeah, it worked, and it's it's now sitting on the shelf. Like, I, I don't want to risk, you know, losing my number one first decoy. Um, but then right after that, I started getting pretty weird with it, like I said, making different characters and the brewer's stuff and just whatever else. And uh, I kind of go in streaks. I'll get on a streak of making real realistic decoys, like ultra-realistic, and then I get kind of sick of doing that. I'm like, all right, what kind of weird stuff can I work on and, and do right now? So I'm working on a couple ones that got, like, crocodile heads but fish bodies. I'm doing some more pikelopes and muskelopes and just goofy stuff right now i gotta say they're pretty cool though because nobody else is out there doing that kind of thing at least that we know of and yeah not really here in wisconsin as much you know you got bago area there's a few carvers around there um most of those decoys you know they're just bright they don't really swim they're just big and bright like they don't really care if they swim at all but in minnesota michigan north dakota where pike spearing is like super huge um there's a lot more carvers obviously in those states and just doing some really amazing work and uh i'm actually on the board for the national fish decoy association which is based out of minnesota and we do an annual show in april every year and compete against each other and different classes on how well they swim or how realistic they look and folk art and different things like that. So there's really like a community of fish decoy carvers that we kind of try to elevate our work every year and, and make it better. I, I do got to ask, when you say swim, what what does that mean? Uh, just doing like, for me, uh, so like it's kind of like a regional thing and how they swim. I come from that UP style of like, we want to be able to have a couple sips of our beer while that decoy is doing like a real nice, slow, circle down the hole getting a couple loops going down uh minnesota guys seem to like them to swim a little bit faster so i I think they wait there's a little bit quicker and um but yeah it's just that nice forward motion doing a nice circle in the water usually about a nice little six foot circle Hmm. wow interesting yeah so you're you're i know you're sturgeon guy you're probably not swimming decoys much and the decoys you probably have probably don't actually swim if you bought them around the bago area they're just kind of weighted to to sink and sit level and and not mess with them too much but the only decoy i've ever used sturgeon spearing has been a coffee cup on yeah. a rope 
So, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty common in Bago. Yep. It works too, though. I mean, yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. They're just curious dinosaurs. So, um, I probably don't get to need to be as crazy as I do with my sturgeon decoys, but it's, it's still fun to see what they'll come into as well. I got to say, I was pretty impressed to see, uh, a sturgeon taken over a mahi mahi decoy this yeah. past weekend. That was pretty impressive. What can you tell us about that little, little trip you took? Yeah. So the mahi. I guess I've let out the secret. Mahi is a great sturgeon decoy because <laughs> I've made a handful of those now. And I think every one I've made has brought in a sturgeon like the first time it's in the water. So they, I don't know if it's that blue and yellow combo or what that they, they're really hot about it. Um, so yeah, Bago this year, well, everywhere the ice isn't great, but Bago is particularly bad, especially when we had that tornado and high winds and stuff roll through just before the start of the season and really kind of, kind of killed what ice was holding on there and made it ultra unsafe. But I had a buddy that had an upriver tag, so uh, we really didn't want him to burn that tag, you know, after waiting nine years to get it. So we went up um, and we probably had to look at, I don't know, five different landings to before we found one that was like remotely safe enough to walk off. And we didn't even actually walk off the landing. We had to like kind of go down the shoreline a little bit and then go out um, and I had a couple spots uh, from years past and other people that have told me about, and I, we were trying to get like a mile out. And as we were going out, um, crossed a couple cracks that were working. And then I saw what I thought was like an old sturgeon hole marked in here. I think it was where somebody must've went through with like a four wheeler or something. There's a big hole. So I'm like, all right, I don't think we're going to get out to where I want to get to. So we were only maybe like a half mile out um, and we needed to get a mile out. So we just kind of picked a random spot almost and cut her hole and got sitting down and i think it was maybe an hour in we had a nice little mud cloud roll through and usually when you have a mud cloud it's probably a big old sturgeon coming by and you know either kicking his tail or sucking up stuff through its gills and uh so we figured we were on them we saw a bigger one at like 10 o'clock in the morning and that one got spooked because we were only in like four feet of water as soon as my buddy moved the spear it literally was just staring like right at us and it just went like a bolt you wouldn't think a big fish could move that fast but man they can really get out of there in a hurry and then at like noon uh we had one coming in i had the mahi down like you mentioned and i just jigged it and we had one come in under our feet like a rocket going straight at that mahi and i saw it right away and told my buddy i'm like hammer it <laughs> he <laughs> hammered it down and uh Lots of chaos ensued and knocking stuff over, knocked the heater over on the mat, and that smelled real good, burning plastic, and <laughs> uh, got it up to the hole, and I grabbed it by the tail, and just we just yanked it out and cheered because we were excited to get off that really crappy ice yes. <laughs> and get out of there. Uh, so, yeah, my buddy ended up getting, I think it was 51 inches and only 24 pounds, not a, not a giant, but still respectable and uh like i said we were just happy to get one and, and get out of there <laughs> yeah for the conditions you're battling bad ice i mean you're, you're very limited in spots and you're, you're already yeah. taking a chance and yeah it wasn't worth taking a chance to go another half a mile out that's for sure but right it's pretty right. cool that you guys are able to make something happen and had some yeah. experiences saw some fish that's pretty awesome yeah it was weird it was a ghost town like i mean normally there's you know, traffic jams out on the lakes during sturgeon season and just shacks everywhere. And there was a couple of shacks that were within 
less than a half mile of us, but not much. And usually, you know, you're just kind of packed in, especially if you're on the fish, like we obviously were, you know, there would have been a ton of shacks around there. Um, I know this DNR just released uh, their aerial counts for opening day was like 450 shacks. Most of them were pop-ups and most years, you know, it's thousands. I think last year was like 3000 shacks, which was also a bad ice year year before that was 6,000 shacks. So, I mean, 450 is, is nothing compared to a, a normal year. Yeah. I can say from experience, I didn't go out last year because of poor ice conditions. The year prior, we went out and we had 38 trucks in our group. So we had our own little shanty town on the east side. So yeah. I, I get it, man. There, there's a, it's a, it's like a diehard sport for that mm-hmm. little niche community. It's, it's pretty cool. I mean, I, yeah. I grew up doing it, so it was really neat, but it's definitely cool. Yeah. Yeah. Diehard's the right word. I think the 450 that are out there or were out there, the, you know, harvest numbers are way down, but I think the success rate, like if you were to go look at percentages, probably way up. I think like I said, it's the diehard guys that are walking mm-hmm. out they're going to get out there no matter what. And the clarity is actually pretty good this year for the most part. So guys that were able to get out, were having pretty good success. I think. That's pretty cool. I know nothing about any of that. I mean, the only thing I've ever speared was carp. And I yeah. enjoyed doing it, but I was usually knee to waist deep in water and just waiting for fish to swim by and then, you know, stick them to the bottom and hold on. If it was a fish that was 20 pounds, it was pretty hard to keep on that tiny little spear that I had. How long do you think the sturgeon spearing has been a, a, a season? You know, how long has it been a thing officially in Wisconsin? I think it was either 19. 19- 31 or 32 was when they officially made it uh, a season for it. I'm sure, you know, before that guys were probably going out and it wasn't really like a regulated thing, but uh, yeah, the early thirties was when it officially started. Okay. Yep. 1932. Have have tactics changed much in that almost hundred years? I'm not much. I mean, I'm sure like the saws and things like that are different and the spears, you know, those early spears were probably just made out of pitchforks, um, which there's actually for pike spears is a real well-known uh, spear maker in Minnesota that still uses pitchforks for his spears. Um, so that's still a thing, but yeah, I'm sure overall it's very, very similar. I'm sure they're swimming coffee cups back then too. So <laughs> <laughs> I might have to have you carve me a coffee cup. <laughs> I, I had a, a couple buddies. So I had an upriver tag in 2020 and um, that was a real crappy season too, um, as far as clarity and everything. So it went the full 16 days upriver and uh so I was just going back and forth, driving up there, and my buddies were giving me a hard time. They're like, just swim a coffee cup. I'm like, I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm like, I will carve a coffee cup before I swim an actual coffee cup. You know, like, I got to swim a decoy. <laughs> that's crazy. Do you think that's probably one of the crazy uh, or more well-known traditions amongst some of those groups is to swim a coffee cup? Oh, for sure. Yeah, everybody's got their weird stuff for sturgeon. Like I said, they're just a curious dinosaur. So I know there's guys that have swam disco balls, bowling pins, deer antlers. Um, One of my first years out, I was sitting with a guy, and he just kept adding stuff down. Like, he started with a decoy, (laughs) but then he added, like, a rubber shark and some bracelets, and he put, like, two geese, goose decoys, like, 
that were taped like back to back down and just kept adding more stuff in. And finally he went and switched with his son who came and sat with me and his son looks down and said, what's all this blank in the hole? <laughs> just started pulling all of it back out. I'm like, I'm like, Hey, I'm pretty new to this. I wasn't going to question it. Like he just was adding more stuff down, you know, <laughs> boredom must so, have been setting in. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, luckily, so I, no, go ahead. I'd say luckily the day ends at one o'clock. So, you, you know, you don't lose uh, too much sanity. <laughs> I was just say, uh, for Sturgeon being a bottom feeder, naturally, what makes them come up to halfway up the water column to check out a decoy? Um, I mean, just curiosity. But I think, you know, even though they're a bottom feeder, you hear tons of stories of guys saying, you know, swimming right under the ice, you know, even though they're in eight. You know, Bago isn't that deep, you know, 18 feet or so is really the deepest it gets out there. Um, but they'll swim up high, too. The one I got was, I was only in like six feet of water, but it was swimming right under the ice. Um, but, yeah, just that curiosity, I think, and moseying around. They'll, they'll come up, I'd say, like halfway up that water column. So, yeah, I'm usually swimming my decoy about halfway down to try and, if they're on the bottom, to pull them off the bottom. So are they coming up to literally out of curiosity or are they trying to eat it or no they're just nudging it like a pike will come in and hammer a decoy and bite at it you know they're angry trying to eat it but a sturgeon's just just curious um at the most they'll just nudge it i don't think they'll really i've never really seen one try and you know get its bottom mouth up on a on a decoy or whatever interesting yeah we yeah. had one two years ago that we just set up was it is it six or seven you start? I haven't been out for two years. Seven. 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 Yeah. So it's seven oh two. We just got the heater going, just got the ice cleared out of the hole and dropped our coffee cup down there. And I'm watching it, and all of a sudden the string went slack. And I'm like, where'd the coffee cup go? And I was I saw the sturgeon swimming past and I'm I sat there in awe. And I was like, Oh man, that was pretty cool. <laughs> and then my cousin, who I'm in the shack with, is like, throw the spear. So we both threw spears and missed. But it's just, it's like, it was interesting because you don't usually have action, to me, that early on. Like, mm-hmm. you sit there, you're ready for a, you know, six, seven-hour sit. And if it happens in the first two minutes, that's what kind of threw me for a loop. But Yeah. Yeah, they call it yeah sturgeon blackout, where your brain isn't really processing what you're what you're seeing. Uh, yeah, the one I got in 2020, uh, like I said, as a crappy clarity year, it was day 14. I had went up, um, and it was like 7:30, so I was already running late by the time I got set up, and it was maybe 15 minutes into the day, and mine came up high and outside, and yeah, it took took a few seconds for my brain to register. I was just like, what is a shark doing, you know, swimming through this water here? And before I did this like crazy sidearm throw on it and, and wrestled it in and uh, darn thing. I didn't have my good gaff with me. So I reached my whole arm in the water to grab the thing and got like up by its mouth and it tried diving again and it dunked me to my shoulder. And I thought I'm going to go for a swim with this thing. And <laughs> I just bare wrestled it out the door and, and there wasn't a person around for miles <laughs> on, on the lake. And I was just screaming and oh, it was, it was a rush. <laughs> I got a tech, technical question for you. When, I mean, those holes are pretty good size and rightfully so they need to be to be able to wrestle a fish in and have enough room to, to throw a spear. What is like the legal size of a hole? What is there? Is there a legal size? 
There is. I don't know it off the top of my head, but it's it's pretty big. I mean, I, I'm usually spearing out of a pop-up hub shack, an Eskimo 949. So those are like eight and a half by eight and a half, half feet. And I'll cut my hole almost as wide as the shack by like three and a half feet uh, depth or whatever. And I still got plenty of room for me and a buddy to sit in there. So that's a pretty big pretty big hole you're looking at and obviously most of those permanent shacks those holes are as wide as the shacks are so that's you know seven or eight feet there okay mm-hmm. and and when you leave that hole you know say you're packing up for the day what are what's the rules are you supposed to mark it with cones are you supposed to just fill it in how does that work yeah as soon as you mark it you're supposed to uh most of the fishing clubs around all the landings will have barrels with uh, wood laths in them uh, so you mark as soon as you cut the hole, you're supposed to put at least two in on each side of the hole there to let people know. Um, me spearing out of the hub, the hub shack, and when I go pike spearing, so I'm hand cutting with a handsaw, and uh, I'll pull actually my blocks out. I'll bust the block up, and I'll pull that out, and I'll use that on the skirt of my shack. You know, it helps if there's no snow; it at least kind of weights down that skirt of the shack. And then at the end of the day, or when I'm done for the weekend or whatever. I'll push those black blocks back in the hole and they'll freeze back up. And if it's cold enough, obviously this year it wouldn't freeze back up, but. Fair enough. Yep. Well, I don't know. What other questions do you have, Matt, about sturgeon fishing? I mean, you've, you've done it. I've not, and I can't think of anything else to ask here, but um, if you don't have anything, let's talk pike spearing. And <laughs> I know it can be kind of a controversial thing, I almost would kind of like to see it here in our state just because it'd be something different. And, you know, if we're only allowed one or two pike anyway, what's it hurting? Yeah, it's really only controversial here in Wisconsin, like the only state, ice belt state, that doesn't have pike spearing. Um, There's nine or ten states that have pike spearing all around us, basically, from North Dakota, South Dakota, Wyoming, Montana, Michigan, uh, Minnesota, Alaska, Vermont, uh, Wisconsin, you can spear on Lake Superior waters, but that's it. So most guys that are in Wisconsin and like to spear, obviously we're just hopping over the border to, to go cause it's closer than driving all the way up to Lake Superior to go. So. Cool. Why, why is it such a big deal here? <laughs> uh, I, I know it's a weighted question. Yeah. Very, yeah. very weighted question. Heavy question, but. You know, yeah, I, let it spill, so man. I, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I uh, kind of head up the Wisconsin Dark House Association, and we've been pushing for a long time to get it uh, legalized here in Wisconsin, or at least expanded opportunities of either just boundary waters or limited lakes. Uh, we just want our foot in the door to show that it can be done here and it can be done safely. And like you said, we'll follow the same harvest regulations. It can be a separate tag so the DNR can make money off from it. Um, you know, just regulate it however the DNR needs to do it. Uh, our biggest opponents are guys that aren't fans of native spearing, so they have pretty strong opinions on that. And then uh, musky guys are just worried that of uh, incidental take. But really, you just need to look at all the states that have pike spearing and see that it's just not an issue. Like, it just does not happen. It's clear as day in the water that they're different species you know, you expect duck hunters to be able to identify a bird on the fly or exactly. if you have a buck tag, you got to know that it's a buck or a doe, like any, any species, uh, you know, a turkey, you got to make sure that's got a beard or whatever. Like you already have to identify these things. So why, 
why should Pike's Experience be any different or harder to do? Like, it just right, and it's all not, those arguments kind of fall apart. And you're so. definitely not trying to take a fish from 20 feet below. I mean, that's that's right. pretty you tough can't. to do. Yeah, the spear, the spear. spearing usually for Pike, you're 10 feet or less because the spear will t- generally kind of plane out. Like we've tried deep water and it's pretty pretty hard to do because that spear will kind of kick out and just sail and and that fish just watches it go on on by. <laughs> yeah. So. I'm going to jump back to sturgeon for one second just because you brought up spears. What's the difference between a pike spear and a sturgeon spear? I was going to ask that question too. (laughs) (laughs) I'll beat you to it, Greg. Yeah, so uh, sturgeon spear is a lot heavier, longer handle, uh, usually the detachable heads. A lot of them have flying barbs on them. Um, Yeah, they're just a bigger beast uh, versus a pike spear is much lighter, shorter, doesn't have a detachable head, doesn't have flying barbs. Okay, um, define flying barb for those who don't know. <laughs> so like a bow and bow and arrow, like your expandable broadheads, like mm-hmm. they open up. Yeah, so they'll close going in, and as they pull back, they open up. So they're spring-loaded? Not, not camp, even. They just, or they're camped? They just catch. As the, you know, as it pulls okay. back, it just opens up and catches, yeah. Gotcha. It's like a bow, it's like a bow fishing like arrow. Like a bow fishing arrow, carp yeah. fishing arrow? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. okay. And then the detachable head, I, I know this already, but when you detach a head for sturgeon spearing, that pole you drop behind weighs like 10 to 15 pounds. And that's what helps slow the fish down so you can get it back in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? just kind of frees them up to roll to yep. roll with that head. And, you know, that handle isn't smacking on either the bottom of the lake or the ice, and it's not getting caught up on anything. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, they'll, you know, they'll just fight a lot more versus most pike, you know, you hit them with the spear, they're not going to go too far. A big pike will carry the spear a little bit. Um, in Minnesota and a lot of states, you can spear rough fish. So, like, Minnesota has big white fish. We call them water ninjas. Those suckers will take a spear, a pike spear, and just go crazy. They, they're they super strong little fish, and they'll take that spear for a ride. So. <laughs> wow. How do they taste? Which one, pike or whitefish? Whitefish. Good. Yeah, they're good. I got a buddy that loves smoking. He smokes a lot of them each winter. So. Oh, I love catching whitefish out of Sturgeon Bay. Delicious. Mm-hmm. I love it. Never, spe- never speared one, but they're Yeah, delicious. they're hard to hit with a spear. Like, like they're just, like I said, they're so fast, and they don't really, you know, hit a decoy like a pike will or won't even nudge it like a sturgeon. They're just cruising really quick through, and they, they can move <laughs> and accelerate on a dime. I mean, they're they're pretty quick. They do the little ninja kick. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we know pike tastes good. At least I'm a big fan. What's your favorite mm-hmm. way to cook one? Just regular pan frying. I think they taste a lot like a bluegill to me. So yeah, just just frying them up and butter. And yeah, I love love to eat them. And you know, a lot of guys complain about the Y bones on them, but you do like the simple five cut method is super mm-hmm. easy to do. Like anybody can do that. And on a little hammer handle, you're not really wasting any any meat on the fillet there. Or, or you can pickle them if you want to dissolve the Y bone, or yeah, or even smoking them will usually get rid of that Y bone too. Sure. How about sturgeon? I mean, that's kind of an intriguing fish. I mean, you spear it, it's a lot of meat. What are you doing to prepare that? How are you preparing it and what are you what are you making out of it? Yeah, I tried it all different ways. Smoking obviously is always good with all fish. Um a lot of guys like to do like the old seven up or sprite boil with them. I didn't mind it. My wife thought it kind of had that lake kind of bottom 
feeder taste with it and stuff. But yeah, deep frying it, I think it almost makes it like a chicken nugget because they got such a firm, firm white flesh on them that they kind of cube up real nice. But uh, yeah, I like cooking them all different ways. Nice. And and it's crazy. You actually, the, for the amount of meat you think you'd get off from, you don't. Like their head is so heavy and big and the the skin on them is so heavy it's just crazy like once you get them kind of broke down it's not as much as you would think considering they don't really have bones in them either they just got like a nano cord that goes through their spine because they're like i said they're a dinosaur they haven't really changed much in the last you know million years or whatever (laughs) not as much evolving as uh, some of the other fish right do you cut the mud line out of them or do you treat that as a different type of meat yeah, I just I'm always trying to shave like all that fat and stuff off from it, and the the red red and yellow fat off from it because that's yeah. always what everybody says kind of tastes, you know, tastes not the greatest. So, yep, yeah, we had them. We would do cut them into like inch by inch cubes, soak them in buttermilk, mm-hmm. and then deep fry them. That's mm-hmm. best way we have. Yeah. Hmm. Sounds good. Sounds like a a fish I need to try. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're all edible at some point right well yeah you got to go with matt sometime and go get one you know that probably beginner's luck where you just go out your first time and get one and think it's not that hard <laughs> i've I've had beginner's better. luck for 14 years and i've never hit one i've thrown a spear <laughs> every 14 years i've been out i've never hit one well no. yeah yeah i gotta go with pike spear and i think us pike spears you know we we hit the much quicker, smaller fish. So when we go sturgeon spear and see that giant thing coming through, it's it's no problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do have eight years into upriver, so probably good... two years. I think you'll get it. I I heard a number of guys this year that had nine points that didn't draw. Uh, my buddy drew with nine, but I had another buddy that also had nine and didn't get it. So I think it's kind of right in between now that nine and nine and ten. So maybe next year, but yeah, for sure within two years, you'll you'll probably draw. I'd be okay with not next year with uh, Montana hunt coming up this fall. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what else can you tell us about the difference between pike and sturgeon decoys? I know you talked about swimming different, but do you go a different size, different, you know, anything? Yeah, like usually, that? yeah, swim's obviously a lot more important with pike. Um, the size is generally a little bit smaller. I mean, for pike, you'll use something as small as a couple inches to you know foot long or whatever but you know a sturgeon you're running stuff that's like 18 inches or you know real big and colorful um but pike will come into to darn near anything i mean it's crazy like i'll be swimming a 14 inch decoy and have a 12 inch hammer handle come in and just nailing it and it's like what what are you trying to do with that like you're not going to be able to swallow it like <laughs> they're just such an aggressive little predator that you know they'll come into anything and just be nailing it whether it's bigger than them or not so uh like i said that's kind of the fun of just seeing what you can get them to come into and for me my favorite is just a little natural uh northern looking decoy that's what i got my lone 40 inch fish on was just a little seven inch northern and they come in real hot on those and angry like just wanting to eat it and cannibalize their own kind i guess that's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> Perch aren't much different, you know, as far as being almost cannibalistic. They'll eat their own kind pretty often, mm-hmm. but it it's not uncommon. I mean, I've had four-inch shiners and a 7-inch a perch get 
just the head of the shiner in and trip the tip up off multiple times before I figure it's on there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they're, they're just as aggressive. Yeah. And pike guys will run some other stuff too. Like they'll love run a, like a live sucker down or uh little daredevil spoons. Uh, a lot of guys now are running golf balls. that are like painted up and they got them on a spinner. So they're just down there twirling around and that kind of pike will come in like a day's just staring at it. And, um, I, like I said, I always run just a, a regular old decoy. It can get pretty expensive if you're running a live sucker and a little hammer handle comes in and keeps nailing it and killing it. And <laughs> that, I actually, I got to ask about that. So when you're pike spearing, can you actually like jig for the pike in that same hole? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Every, every state's obviously a little different as far as the regulations go, but, um, Minnesota and Michigan, I know you can you can jig like if you got a crappie or something coming through, you can grab your jig pole and fish right out of that big hole and sight fish. Or if you want to jig up the the pike, uh, Michigan allows what they call like cheater hooks on the decoy, so you can have a hook on your decoy and and mm-hmm. catch them like that too. And yeah, yeah, because I know what Wisconsin's twelve inch max hole for ice fishing out of. Mm-hmm. So I, I was just curious on that because I've seen a lot of, of videos on, you know, social media where it's they're jigging for pike and see a perch or a crappie and they drop a line in the water. And it's like, hmm. Hmm. I didn't, it's interesting. That's different way to, I don't know, kind of multitask the spearing event. Yeah, it's it's cool, you know, the sight fishing like that or just seeing everything that's going on beneath the ice and uh I mean, pike spearing and even sturgeon spearing, the technology isn't really there. Like, it's very primitive, everything, and not really using, like, live scope or cameras that hardly at all for anything. Like, it's not really going to help you in the long run because you're set up, you're not moving. You know, that's a lot of work to cut a big-ass hole in the lake, and you're tuckered out. Like, you're at least going to sit there all day. You're not hole hopping and looking around for fish. So it's cool to just be able to look with your own eyes and see you know, what the panfish are doing or how the pike are coming in that day and kind of adjusting your swimming of the decoy, like if they're really aggressive or maybe they're not aggressive that day, like I'll just let it hang there and let them kind of mosey and slow on their own. Or, you know, all of a sudden I see a panfish bolt out of there like how it's like, oh, I think something, you know, a pike or something bigger is coming in. You know, they're like my little sentinels, you know, <laughs> down there watching. So it's it's just cool. I, I kind of like the low tech aspect of everything. And, um, I don't have the money for a live scope anyways, but, you know, like I said, it wouldn't really help you a whole lot because you're not going to be able to move around to, to go to the fish. So so you, you brought that up. I've actually seen in the past couple of years people dropping cameras down, and they'll run, um, if it's not familiar to everybody, I've seen people run shingles down in an X on the bottom so they can see the bottom. They, they use that to judge fish size and everything like that. But I've also seen in poor water quality, they mm-hmm. put the X down there and they'll drop a camera down so that, you know, if it's fixated at the center of your X and they see a fish swim by, they might not be able to see it from the top, but they can still throw a spear at it. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I know it was kind of highly debated for a while there, but I feel like it's kind of simmered down because I know in the spring hearings, I think the DNR even asked a couple of questions relating to use of cameras and other tech for, for spearing. Um, I don't mind it. Like there's harvest caps in place, you know, that's already regulated through the teeth. So we're still not hitting those harvest cap moles here just because the clarity has been so bad or the ice has been so bad. So I don't think it's really impacting the overall harvest. 
um, you know, if it helps a guy out and he can still get out there and if the water clarity is bad and he can at least see the fish on the camera and get it like kudos to him, I guess I don't, I don't see the issue with it because those, those caps are all in place and the regulations are all still there. So you still got to follow the same rules. And as far as that goes. Cool. Exactly. I mean, it, some of the shacks I've seen with those have the big TV screens in them and everything like that. And yeah, I don't I'd, I'd rather see the fish and throw a spear at a fish rather than see the screen and throw into nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've but, sat with guys that have done it and I've tried it and I've watched them throw on fish and literally on the screen, see that fish swim away. And then there comes a spear bearing at the bottom. Like that fish <laughs> is gone by the time that spear, you know, hits 18 feet down. Like it's, it's still very tough. Like that camera is not helping them that much. So it just helps them know that there's a fish there and that's it. Right. Yeah, that they know something's down there. Yeah, yep. And that fish can feel in its lateral line that there's something bad coming for it, and it can move. Hmm. Yeah. Um. I got to dive into one more thing. What is the status of sturgeon spearing in Wisconsin? I mean, it's still all all good, except for the uh, federal wildlife commission has to decide by what is that june of this year if they're going to list uh, sturgeon on the endangered species list because uh, some animal rights group has been pushing for it for quite a while and a judge put a deadline of june of this year uh for them to decide and obviously us spears and uh, a few state representatives are trying to if that's going to happen at least have the wisconsin bagel uh population be exempt from that you know it'd be it's kind of dumb to include wisconsin on that you know we have such a healthy population i think they estimate like forty thousand fish in the bago chain alone you know we were the very first state to put protections in place uh, for sturgeon and that's why we have such a robust population we were the first state to figure out how to raise them in fish hatcheries other states rely on us for uh their populations you know when they do the uh tagging them and during the spring spawning and they're collecting eggs and things like that. Like a lot of states rely on us and a lot of that funding for those efforts would go away if we weren't able to have sturgeon spears or groups like sturgeon for tomorrow would probably uh, get a lot less funding rolling through them. So it'd be uh, pretty detrimental to, to lose our spearing season. What, what are the odds looking like though? Like if you had a feel for it? I, I really don't know. I mean, you'd have to ask somebody that works in the, you know, wildlife commission there to what the people that are deciding, you know, I don't think anybody has really heard from any sort of authority figure on, on what way they're leaning, but. It's funny how that goes because we hear nothing until all of a sudden, oh yeah, that that bill got pushed through or it's, it's there and they're, they're yeah. voting on it tomorrow. Okay. Yeah. Where, where was everybody's, you know, where, where can we go to, talk to somebody about this it's a little mm-hmm. too little too late it's really yeah. hard to keep your your hand on the pulse of it yeah luckily i think they they hear us wisconsinites you know speaking up about it because like i said we got a few state representatives that have uh done some different bills and spoke at in stockbridge you know the sturgeon capital of the world uh to the spears about it so it's it's on on the political radar at least but it'd be silly. It's it's a silly thing to consider doing that. You know, you look at a lot of different species like 
say elk. Elk aren't in their whole native, you know, historic range, but they're obviously abundant in a lot of places. And you never consider putting them on, you know, the endangered species list. So why why do it to sturgeon? You know, they're super abundant in Wisconsin. Like, yeah, they haven't fully recovered in other states, but every state has protections in place for those species already. You know, like the protections are there. Add them to the ESA isn't gonna isn't gonna do anything more to help them. No, especially with them using us as a, a primary stocking agent for other, you know, states across the country. So, mm-hmm. yeah, and and yeah, just like I said, the funding for the species, and then just the businesses that rely on sturgeon spearing and and communities, you know, around Bago, uh, the Wisconsin DNR magazine a couple months ago they set listed it at three and a half million. They figure for the season wow. that it brings into the Bago region and tourism and and things like that. So it just, it really hurt Wisconsin in a lot of different ways. Yeah. So we need that tradition to continue 100%. Hmm. Well, that was, uh, that was informative and pretty deep and (laughs) it was good. It's good to talk about those things. On a lighter Mm -hmm. note, do you have (laughs) an OKS Fisher moment that you could share with us? I mean, uh, it sounds like you started off with one with your recent trip by almost lighting the floor on fire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that, yeah, that's not even in my top 10. I got a lot of different moments. Um, man, the ever popular one is I had a barrack stalking across the lake. I don't know if that's an okayest moment. So we can circle back to that. I think my best okayest moment was as a few years into to Spearin. Um, I think it was still when I had an apartment and didn't have a lot of money. And I just had a Chrysler 300 car. So uh, me and one of my other buddies shoved all our gear into the car, which I have no idea. You know, when I pack my truck now, I have no idea how I fit all that gear in the car back then. (laughs) Uh, Drove up uh, to the UP, to this kind of remote lake that we like to go to. It's about a mile or so back on a logging road, basically. And then it's about a mile hike out on the lake. And it was... uh, probably January or something. So it was well into winter. There was a lot of snow, got up to the logging road, could clearly see no trucks had driven back. And I'm like, there's no way my car is going to get back there. So we unloaded at the main road, all this gear and did the hike back through all this snow, dragging all the gear. And it's very windy and like every turn, it's like, oh man, we got to be almost to that lake. And it's like, nope, nope, we're not there. So drag all this stuff all the way out to the lake. I didn't have my own uh, hand ice saw at the time. So my buddy who lives up there had given me his chainsaw. And he's like, man, I just just had it tuned up. It's great. It's ready to go. They'll cut a hole, no problem. And it was super, super cold that morning. We get out there, could not get that chainsaw to start for the life of us. Just doing everything we could. We put up the shack, got the heater going, like trying to warm it up. It just would not start. So we're like, well, what the hell do we do? We're not going to walk the two miles back to the car, you know, to go figure something out. So we started just using the spud and just spudding through the ice, you know, trying, trying to make a big hole. It was 18 inches of ice. And then we spent, I don't know, probably almost two hours spudding this hole, you know, a spearing hole. And we just had a little quick fish three shack, you know, which are pretty tiny. So we spud this hole finally and got three of us crammed in there. And man, that beer started flowing very fast once we were finally set up. And I think we managed to get finally two fish, but that was it for the day and just, 
Oh, super frustrated with that chainsaw. I come back to my buddy. He's like, I don't know what the problem was. Next weekend, he went out and did the same thing. He had the chainsaw. It would not start for him either. So I didn't, I didn't feel too bad. Then. <laughs> yeah. It's like one of my fond, probably one of my fondest memories. Cause the one, one of the guys that went with, he's no longer with us. So like, I look, that picture comes up in like my Facebook memories and stuff. And it's just funny. Cause I got pictures of both of them just you know trying to spud through 18 inches of ice and making the spearing hole and <laughs> it's almost like dragging a buck out of a swamp you know you're just yeah. you're huffing and puffing and sweating yeah we were already beat you know it's just super beat from walking two miles through snow dragging all this gear and then to get out there and then have to try and spud a hole too on top of it it just yeah it was pretty demoralizing <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Yeah, I would say that's an okayest Fisher moment. Mm-hmm. For sure. <laughs> well, where can people find you? I mean, and we kind of went through it a little bit at the beginning, but where? what are your media channels? What's your handle? Yeah, uh, for your uh, audience, I'm sure my Instagram will be of the, the most interest to them. It's Ryan Ebert Art, and that's pretty much where I share all my decoys, spearing, hunting, uh, spearing related apparel, things like that. Uh, I do have a website uh, that's Ebert photo, probably not as interesting because that's a lot of my design photography stuff. Um, My Etsy is also Ryan Ebert art and that's where I'll sell a lot of my decoys and apparel and stickers and hats and things like that. Uh, I do a number of shows throughout Wisconsin uh, each year. I saw you guys at the Wisconsin ice fishing expo in Oshkosh in December uh, next weekend, whenever this comes out, uh, February 25th. Third to the 25th is the Wisconsin Fishing Expo in Madison. So I actually got a nice big uh, double booth there. Uh, That'll be an awesome show. There's like 350 vendors. Uh, I think they get like 20,000 people. There's lots of seminars, lots of cool stuff, boats, all that there. Uh, Do the National Fish Decoy Show. That's in April in Perm, Minnesota. Uh, BHA has asked me to come to the rendezvous, which is also in Minneapolis in April. I haven't fully decided on that because my wife might murder me if I go to Minnesota back-to-back weekends and leave her at home with the baby. So <laughs> we'll see. But, uh, yeah, all the different ways that guys can find me. Cool. Well, it was a fun chat. I think we could probably keep talking about other things. Um, but I think we're going to call this one an episode. We're bringing the uh, – Plane in for a landing. So, everybody, thank you for tuning in. Ryan, thanks for chatting with us. Matt, yeah, thanks for having me. Matt, still got some whiskey in that glass? A little bit left, yep. Bottoms up, buddy. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs>